One of the carols that the whole world sings is a familiar and spirited song that has been translated into more than 120 different languages. This is one carol the whole world does sing. For the ringing words and the swinging melody, the world can thank a man who had an itch in his feet and a quill in his hand. But before we go adventuring with this long-ago wanderer, let's take a close-up view of Christmas right here at home. And naturally, we'll want to look in on this friend of ours. could have had a good, secure job in a good, secure English town if he'd wanted it. He'd had a fine, quick handwriting, easy to read. And though printing had been invented 300 years before, type was still set slowly by hand. with a quill and a bottle of ink could make himself a fine living copying manuscripts when only a few copies were needed. He could have worked for a lawyer or a writer or a ship owner. Johnny Wayne could have, but for all of his solid English patience in getting every vowel on the page down exactly, and for all of his solid English name, there was a little of the gypsy in Johnny Wayne. And so, Johnny stuck some extra quills in his pocket and set out to see the world. And there was a lot to see back in the 1750s. A lot of places a man who was handy with pen and ink could go and make himself a tidy living. Johnny settled down for a while in France. When France got as familiar as the English countryside, the itch in his foot drove him on to Portugal. And all the time... While Johnny scratched his itching foot on cobbled town streets and dusty lanes, he was learning things. He learned a little French, a little Latin, and because choirs and churches often required extra copies of music, he learned a little music, too. And so in Portugal, his services were welcomed. With his knowledge of Latin and music, Johnny was just the lad to copy off some manuscripts for the English Roman Catholic Church in Lisbon, Portugal. A copy of John Wade's manuscript was sent to the Portuguese chapel in London. There, 35 years later, 
the Duke of Leeds came across it and discovered in the pages a song he had never heard before. The song was passed along to concert singers as the Portuguese Hymn, a title it sometimes still bears. John Wade of the Itching Feet and the Educated Quill was given credit for composing both music and words. Since then, skeptics have pointed out that the music has the same rousing rhythm that might have been composed by Handel, who was in his prime at the same time John Wade was industriously copying music into church books. The same skeptics are apt to mention, too, that Johnny was a long time in France and that the words for the song might have come from some old French carol. Well, if John Francis Wade could hear the arguments, he'd only smile and shrug. He never pretended to be anything but an expert copyist after all. So whether he created the song, or whether he only copied and happily matched stirring words to stirring music, is just a detail for historians to pick over. For the truth is, if Johnny Wade hadn't gone a-wandering, today we, you and I, couldn't include among the carols of Christmas fantasy the triumphant, joyous song, O Come All Ye Faithful. O come, all ye Deste Fidelis. Once sung in Latin, this carol for Christmas has been translated into more than 120 different languages. In fact, there have been almost 50 translations of it into English, each varying slightly from the other. But now with Christmas coming on at a rapid pace, most of us are trying to translate our generous info meet with the approval of our sometimes less generous budgets. Now, there's a task that fits the talents of this friend of ours.
the candle fades, and the fire is dying, and the only light is the far stars flying. Look, within the darkening night, drift lost petals of virgin white. Earth is kissed by flakes of wing, like feathers dropped from an angel's wing. In the silence that lies between the singing, in the stillness that falls, as bells stop ringing, listen, and perhaps you'll hear a rustling whisper passing near. For Christmas night, the blessing brings an earth that's brushed by angel wings. Like the men of old who traveled far, lift your eyes and heart then to the stars. Oh, discard your doubt, your fear. The flame of faith keep burning clear. And your hope, your prayer, the song you sing will be born aloft on an angel's wing. Thinking of John Francis Wade, the wandering scribe brings to mind the wandering minstrels of long ago who sang of Christmas in midwinter and love in spring. Sometimes, no doubt, they sang of both, for love mixes with just about everything, including Christmas. In fact, in several lands, ancient Christmas superstitions prescribes certain love rituals involving flowers. Now, where is a young suitor to come by flowers of romance in midwinter? Well, in Bohemia and in some parts of southern France, he steals them. First of all, he lets the girl of his choice produce the flowers, cherry blossoms which girls of the area force in the damp sand from cherry twigs by starting them long before Christmas and thus, through faithful care, coax them into bloom in time for a bouquet to carry to church on Christmas morn. Then if a lad can contrive to steal the flowers, he automatically gets the girl as well. Though it is hard to see why he deserves her just for stealing the flowers. In Persia, on the other hand, a suitor presents a single tulip for his lady. This flower with petals of flame and heart black as coal is supposed to proclaim the eternal flame of love in his heart. Giving it is a proposal of marriage. In Switzerland, the lad who's in love is far more daring, to say nothing of being more honest, in his attempt to win the girl he loves. There it's the custom to pluck a sprig of Edelweiss for the lass of his heart as a token of his love. The beautiful Edelweiss has a golden center surrounded by star-like clusters of white, furry, floral leaves. It is the emblem of purity, and the name means noble white. To pluck a sprig takes skill and courage, as it grows high in the Alp crevices, and one misstep could mean disaster. After the lad has the Edelweiss safely in his hands, he goes to the girl's home, offers it to her, and if she accepts his gift, it means that wedding bells will ring before long for the young couple in love. But now all our hearts are wooed and won with yuletide greetings like this from a friend of ours.
Recalling the Christmas gift problems of French, Persian, and Swiss suitors brings to mind the fact that not many Christmas stories come from Persia, but there is one so quaint and so unusual that it is a rare treasure worth adding to our own store of Christmas legend, lore, and poetry on today's fantasy. say, when Jesus was a little boy, his mother took him with her into the markets. As is the way with little boys, he was often restless and eager for some excitement. For after a while, the stirring throngs, the heaps of pans and jugs, the piles of bread and stacks of hats and boots lost their new excitement. So when his mother took him into a dye shop, he was at once eager to know all about how the shop owner changed that drab pile of clothing over there into the new-looking bright gay garments that hung drying over here. The shopkeeper had little time to explain. The boy's mother, of course, was the customer he wanted to satisfy. And she, womanlike, had a hard time making up her mind. She brought with her a robe and a gown. It would be a big saving to have them dyed and repaired rather than buying new but she did want them to look pretty. Should they be red, green, blue? While she hesitated and talked, young Jesus took action. And when his mother and the shopkeeper turned to him again, there wasn't a single garment or bolt of cloth waiting to be dyed. The boy with a long dye stick was enthusiastically stirring them all together in the big steaming pot of dye. In one horrified glance, the shopkeeper took in what had happened. I'm ruined, he cried, ruined. When my customers come, what shall I say? That a boy tossed all their clothing into the red dye? They'll make me replace everything. Mary wrung her hands. We are to blame. We will have to pay for all these clothes, not you, kind man. But how? My husband makes little as a carpenter. It will take us all our lives to pay for so many clothes. Jesus only laughed. Ha ha, there was excitement for you there. Then he dipped the stick deep and held up a garment for them to see. And it was green. And the next garment was blue. And the next was brown. The shopkeeper rubbed his eyes and looked again. It couldn't be true, but it was. For instead of being ruined, he was blessed with a magic dye that dyed any cloth or garment whatever color was wanted. He was far from ruined. He was rich. And Jesus, his small boy yearning for excitement, well satisfied, skipped along merrily, singing all the way home. Or at least that is the story the Persians tell to explain why, even today, some of the dye shops along the crowded marketplaces are called Christ shops. It's in memory of a very human boy, and his very human impulsive mischief on a market day long, long ago. And the tender human affection with which the child of Bethlehem is regarded in Persia is reflected too in their Christmas poems. Not many have been translated, but as an appropriate postscript to the story of why Persian dye shops are called Christ shops, here are a few tender couplets 
from Persian poetry. The lips of the Christ child are like two twin leaves. They let roses fall when he smiles tenderly. The tears of the Christ child are pearls when he grieves. The eyes of the Christ child are deep as the seas. Like pomegranate grains are the dimples he hath. And clustering lilies spring up in his path. beautiful melody like Mary's Boy Child to remind us that Christmas is indeed crowding the calendar. Not many of us need a reminder to look in on this friend of ours.
above the treetops. My window frames a scene. A lovely winter mural, so peaceful and serene. The starlit skies shed a mystic light o'er the snow-clad world on this Christmas night. And the snowflakes fall o'er the pale moon's face, a dainty white veil of star-spun lace. The trees, like specters garbed in white, stretch silvery arms in the pale moonlight. And the majestic pines sway to and fro as a brisk wind banks the drifting snow. May the words of our Lord spread goodwill o'er the earth, bring peace to all people, on this day of his birth. time the tree was hung with tinsel garlands and orbs of iridescent crimson. When you trim your own tree for Christmas, it's interesting to know that the first tree ornaments weren't fashioned in celebration of Christmas at all. Though they were hung up in midwinter, they were hung by the Romans on all of the trees of the orchard, and each ornament was a little mask representing Bacchus the god of vineyards and the god of wine. It was thought that winter winds would swing the smiling little masks to and fro so that the god of wine would look kindly on all the grape vines and bless them all with a record yield for the coming year. So you see, we even borrow present-day Christmas customs from the pagan gods. But no matter what the origin of the first three ornaments, it's a mighty gay and festive custom that we believe in yet on Christmas Fantasy.